Well, thank you for the invitation to be here today. It's always good to come uh, to Wingham and uh, to make uh, those acquaintances again that uh, we've had over the years. Good to see you. And uh, um, I'm grateful for Alan in his message this morning as he we looked at communion because we're coming to a topic which is uh, a tough one, I think. Um, some of us probably can remember some of those pulpit bashing preachers that saying, you're going to go to hell. You remember, some of you may remember that, but uh, before my time, obviously, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the, um, and so we look at the judgment of God and the wrath of God and uh, we think, oh, that's any, you know, we hear that, that wrath and we think, oh, I, I need to get right with God. And uh, I know as a, as, a, uh, as a young person who became saved when I was about 14, every time that uh, there was a preacher out the front sharing something, I wanted to go forward because I, I needed to, to, to know that I was saved then, you know, and I was always wanting to go forward and be saved until someone actually shared with me uh, uh, a passage from 1 John about, uh, do you believe that you have eternal life? God is offering it. Do you believe you have it? And I, I had to say, I believe that's true. I believe what God says is true. Then you have eternal life. And so... Um, we're dealing with, uh, with this passage from Romans today, judgment, righteous judgment. And um, I'm grateful to be able to be here. And uh, that righteous judgment is tied up in this ceremony that we have done today in remembering Jesus. As I was preparing uh, today, I came across uh, an introduction to this passage by Greg. Did that work? Okay, all right. Um, uh, Greg Herrick, a pastor from Alberta, Canada, and I like what he had to say. This is what he says. Someone had once quipped that the definition of a jury is 12 chosen to decide who has the best lawyer. With the current state of litigation, it is no wonder that people are openly sceptical about truth and justice in our law courts. Indeed, the problem with justice is that it appears to be no longer admissible in our practice of law. There is coming a day, however, when things will be different, radically different. It is a day, Paul refers to in Romans 2.16, when God will judge men. There will be no need for lawyers. God does not need to listen to crooked defence strategies. There will be no need for remembering what actually happened. God is omniscient and omnipresent. He knows what happened better than we do. Indeed, he was there when the deeds were done. There will be no need to attempt to discern whether someone is actually telling the truth or not. Again, God knows all things. In short, it will be a perfect situation. A holy judge who cannot lie or sin, be bought off or corrupted in any way. He will possess complete knowledge of all mitigating factors and circumstances and his verdict will be just with no opportunity for appeal. Indeed, there can be no appeal for there is no higher court. It will be a radical different day for an omnipotent, omniscient and holy judge will take the stand and settle issues once 
and for all. The question surfaces then, on what basis does God judge people? Paul provides an answer in Romans 2, 1-16. God judges people impartially according to their works and the truth. We go back to Jeremiah, we hear about the heart of man in Jeremiah 17, 9-10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Sobering thought, isn't it? Romans 2, 1 starts with a therefore, and it's said when we see this word in scripture, we should ask, what's it there for? We go back to chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, and we get an indication of what it is referring to. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. There can be no excuse. God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Paul states in Romans 3.23, all have sinned, you that? all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in Ephesians 2.8 we read, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Paul is keen for us to understand that we are not God and our earthly understanding of justice is flawed and we are incapable of making the best judgments as we do not have all the facts about what it is in the heart of man and God. You judge people? Sure we do. Is it the right judgment? Well, probably not. In verse 2 we read, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. That's a good thing. That we can have truth and that a judgment is based on truth. I have a friend who runs a uh, mechanical business and there were some people that didn't like... Well, there was competition, I suppose. He was, he was doing fairly well and uh, other people were... Uh, um, a bit concerned about his status in the, in the industry. And so they uh, worked out how they could talk to the police and make some complaints about him. Um, in one instance, he went to, uh, to do a caravan inspection on somebody else's property because they couldn't get the caravan to the premises to be inspected. Well, that was found out and uh, he was dobbed in for doing an inspection out of premises. Another occasion where he, um, he helped someone and trying to help them with some rust repairs and the job was done, but it, they inspected the job and it, although it was painted and everything, it wasn't done 
to the standard that it should have been done. So he was drawn up before court and uh, he had to share, you know, what had happened in these cases and try to defend himself. But, you know, they didn't ask for any character witnesses. They didn't look at anything about the person himself. They just looked at the specific charges. And uh, my friend was not able to speak out and say why he had done these things. And he was charged with fraud. It's really tough that that was unjust because what he was doing was trying to help someone and what he was caught out on was not something that was a deliberate fraud. It was just a misunderstanding of the situation. So getting the truth in our world can be quite a process. It is clear from this passage that all people will be judged, Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul goes on to say in Romans 14, 10 to 12, You then, why do you judge your brothers or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to give an account of why you did the things you did? There will be no escaping judgment. But let us not forget who this judge is. If you turn to verse 4, it says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Scripture talks to us about being sorry, turning around from what we've done that's wrong. To repent is to turn around and go the other way. He is the righteous judge, rich in kindness, forbearance and patience. Knowing that God is just, merciful, forbearing, patient, kind and full of grace should bring us to our knees in worship and praise and repentance. We deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God on our sin. We deserve it and should have to go through it. But God, in his richness sent Jesus because he is rich in kindness and he is rich in love and mercy. We should not ignore the length God has gone that we might receive eternal life. <coughs> in verse 5 we see the results of ignoring God. But people ignore God all the time. But, and this is the result. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. It will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Verses 7 
at verses 8 and 9. The wrath of God is being stored up for judgment day and will be revealed. It goes to say, but those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. On the other hand, however, for those who persist in doing good, seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. Is that good news? Yes, that's good news. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jews, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. That's also really good news, that he looks at everybody in the same light. And as I look around, we're all different, aren't we? He's not showing any favouritism. He loves each one just the same. You know, these passages may indicate that our works will save us, but this is contrary to what Paul teaches in his writing in James 2.8. It is faith in Christ that produces the good that we do. James 2.18 says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. We have this explained in James 2, verses 14 to 17. Practical situation. What good it is, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about this physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. In the last few passages in verses 12 to 16, we hear about the law. And in society, this is how we govern and decide our justice system. But we know that in many ways, some of the laws have flaws in them. But it is the law that will govern the outcome. I'm thankful that Jesus, when asked about the law, said in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. He puts the law in such a succinct way. It's not do this, do that, we've got to do all this. There's just two simple things that we need to come to, to love God and love one another. I'm even more thankful to hear the words from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Walking with God, being in his presence, will keep us in tune with his law. The old covenant law was to lead us to repentance. Galatians 3, 24 and 25 states this. It says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the law, under this guardianship. It is the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. Romans 8.16 says that about that spirit bearing witness with our spirit. And John 16.13 says, But when the spirit of truth comes, see that truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. We see here that the new covenant and law have arrived in a new way. In verses 14 to 16, it hints at this when it says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements for the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them at other times even defending them. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. The law is written on their hearts. Saul was transformed and became Paul the Apostle through the power of the Spirit. Transformation took place. I make judgments every day about a number of things, people included. They can be flawed judgments, as I don't have all the facts. And I mistake more often than I would like to admit. I see someone, I, I pigeonhole people. I don't know if you do that. But it's wrong because I don't know their circumstances. Growing up, my dad was a hard taskmaster didn't really know what it was to love me, I think. He did love me in his own way. And then I found out that uh, my dad's father died when he was 12 years old, so he didn't know a father. My grandmother married an army officer, an English army officer at the time, and you can imagine what that was like for my dad. So he didn't know how to love but I judged him, and my siblings judged him as well. But he put food on the table. He made sure we had a, a, a home to live in. And when I realised why he was like he was, it changed my idea, my judgement of him. So I need to be reminded from this passage that there is a gracious, righteous judge who knows 
all the situation and he will judge with truth. He will be impartial. He will show no favouritism. Who will look at the heart. He looks at your heart and what you have done, what we have done and why we have done it. He understands us. He wants us to know the truth of the Holy Spirit leading us as well. Psalm 96.10 says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. And in verse 13, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Isaiah 11, 1 to 4. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. In Acts 17, 29 to 31, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Micah 6.8 For he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. We cannot be a follower of Christ and have no change in our actions and how we live. Romans 2 speaks about God's judgment, his wrath, his anger. It speaks about those that ignore God and are unrepentant. God knows we make mistakes, that at times we go our own way, full of compassion. Uh, sorry. This passage speaks about justice and judgment, but it also speaks about a righteous judge full of compassion, understanding, tolerance, kindness and patience. This is what is to lead us to repentance, this love of God, this kindness of God, to live in his grace. It is not fear of judgment and wrath of God. We should be conscious of it, but it should be conscious of the transforming love of God in our own life, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
It is the knowledge of the love of God that he has made available to us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Learn from the passage how God judges. Four takeaways. God's judgment is based on truth. That's good to know. Not innuendo or other people's comments. Based on truth. God's judgment is based on our actions. Because we have we truth. We need to live like we're living in the truth. And God's judgment is not based on favouritism. Oh, he's done that. Oh, he's done that. Oh, I like him because he's done that. It's not based on favouritism. God looks at what is happening in our life. And finally, God's judgment is based on the heart. God looks at the heart. He knows why you've done this, why you've done that. And he draws us to himself and says, repent, say you're sorry. I know what's in your heart. You did this for a good reason, but it was a bad choice. I just want us to praise God for his great love for us and continue to walk in his ways to bring praise and honour to him. There will be a day when we'll give an account of every word. But we have the righteous judge. We remember him, the righteous judge, who paid God's wrath and judgment for each one of us on the cross. Not only did he pay that, he gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. If you're neglecting to read his word, if you're neglecting to meet with one another, then you're missing out on what God has for you because his truth, the word of God is truth, speaks into our heart to show us how to live, to bring us to repentance and to know how to follow him. I want to conclude the message as we say together a prayer of confession and repentance. Maybe we can see that there. Let's say this together. Merciful God, we confess that we have often failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbours and we've refused to hear the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you.